me. Please be happy. Please be happy. I love you and I hate you and I love you. <laughs> Where does Strix go when you record, by the way? He's actually just sitting right here. Yeah. He plays his computer game with his headphones on. That's fun. Yeah, Alex is just too loud and he'll forget and start like <laughs> chantering and then just like pottering around making noise and then also Kiva. It's like he's still really quiet, but then like if there's someone at the door or something, he'll start start woofing and that's no good. Kiba is the source of the mysterious rolling ball sound. <laughs> I don't know why, but whenever Kiba is in the house, anywhere in the house when we record, when I'm editing, I hear like this... <laughs> like a wooden ball rolling over a wooden floor. Weird. Does he just like emit that aura? Maybe he does. Maybe Kiba's a demon dog. I No, no, he's definitely like some sort of heavenly angelic being (laughs) Uh, so maybe it just like resonates up against our hideous demonic aura and so we're like oh what is that awful sound but to (laughs) other people it it sounds really really good and we're like what's that wet dog and everybody else is like smelling cinnamon pancakes around him (laughs) can i tell you keep his feet smell like popcorn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't disbelieve you. It's it's very bizarre because um, Samoids are hypoallergenic and they don't like all dogs smell a little bit of like dog, but because he's hypoallergenic, he doesn't have that stink that some dogs have. So if you're sniffing him, you're like, yeah, that's a little, he's a little smelly boy. But then you smell his feet and it smells like delicious popcorn, and you're like, what are you? What creature are you? <laughs> How are you like his this? paws pressed against your face and him going, <laughs> Now, I don't want to come across as one of those millennials, mm-hmm. but people keep talking about how good their baby's heads smell, which that's weird to me, but fine. Yeah. But then I looked at Bun Bun and I was like, I wonder if your head smells good. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little spot like, just between her ears where the fur is extra soft. Mm. And that kind of, it smells a little bit like bread to me. <laughs> it's because oh. she's my baby. Oh, Gandalf smells like sad medicine because we have to put, <laughs> put him in the, in the medicinal box of sadness that he hates. So he just smells like <laughs> bad medicine. Oh, shame. He gets put in the little bunny smoke box. Mm. I have to cream Bun Bun's little feet every day. <laughs> And so she hops around with little creamy feet, leaving paw prints everywhere. <laughs> creamy feet. Mmm. Oh, that would upset me. I mean, because with rabbits, you have to, like, move a layer of fur to reveal the, the skin where the fur has worn off. Aww. And then you put the cream on, and then you fold the fur back over. But that must be like having creamy feet and then putting on socks. Can you? Like, I used to think about Ugh. this a lot. Because I'm not a furry, fuck you. Mm-hmm. But like, if people ha- if people had fur, I don't know. Just like the upkeep, the grossness of it, and I'm just very glad that humans are are sans fur because it just it looks like such a hassle. Can you imagine the fucking amount of grooming you'd have to do? And then like, what if you had like some skin problems? And it's just very, I'm just very glad that we are fur free. Hashtag fur free. We get enough lice on just the one part of our bodies where there is fur. That's right. Mm -mm. Only the one part. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Were you thinking of something? Uh, no, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is fine. We said scratching. <laughs> I actually am. Um, you mention it and I'm like, oh. Scratch, good. So these are hard times, Jess. I don't think you're going to disagree with me. I don't like it very much. I mean, a good thing happened. Trump is dead now or something. I don't know. I've got a new drag name, which is Demanda Recount, and that's pretty good. So... Is Trump dead? I don't know. I think with monsters, you gotta double tap him. Oh, true. Fuck. Although that said, he lost Georgia twice, so I think that counts. Oh, good. Okay. I'm not saying that I've derived much malicious glee from this whole thing. Oh, yeah. The schadenfreude is like, ooh, it's like the only kind of joy I can feel anymore. And so it's been really (laughs) nice to to feel things again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, America, well done. You did it. I mean, look, I sounded a little bit sarcastic when I said that, but I'm actually so happy for you, America. I know Biden doesn't fix everything. Oh, it's the lesser of two evils, but I mean... Yeah, what an evil that one was. And I also love that whenever we both try and sound sincere, we just... Uh, it's so weird to us <laughs> it that it just... Across. It's like, oh, I really love that jumper. And everyone's like, fuck you, Jess. Like, no, I really... It's really great. Well, you don't have to be like this. I'm trying to compliment you, you fucking idiot. <laughs> We don't have a lot of practice in sounding happy, sincere, and genuine, so we're doing our best. I just, I couldn't have taken another four years of Trump shitting in my head <laughs> through his tweets. And I'm I'm in the UK. I just kind of want to see my own country's news a little bit. Where's Bojo these days? Just as a general, right, no, got into, I'm in the rage cage, Philippa, I've, I've put myself in the rage cage. <laughs> Oh, so, but it's still hard times. To quote Dickens, it was the worst of times. I don't know if any sentence came before that bit. It's all I ever bothered to read. Regardless, money is tight, and I'm looking to get a little hustle going on the Mm -hmm. side. And since I've done a bunch of research on demons, I think that you and I could maybe open up a small side business and maybe become exercise influencers. (gasps) Okay, so we're like, Putting this on, is it like a product that you can buy on our Etsy store, which is Speakeasy Storehouse, Etsy Speakeasy Storehouse, where you can like buy like a little exorcism, like you do your tarot readings. (laughs) Seamless plug. (laughs) Speakeasy Storehouse, seamless plug. But yes, like that, I like it. We send you thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Now... I hear what our audience is is thinking. Yes. You might look at the two of us and wonder, do we have what it takes? And I'm here to say, hell yeah, I mean, probably (laughs) not. I was all excited for a moment there. By the way, this (laughs) podcast that you're listening to is Everything is Awful Forever. And we are now your exorcists. You may call me Demon Begone Jess Byrne. I'm Philippa Getty behind me, Satan Evans. I love it. Everything's Awful Forever podcast. We plugged the Etsy store before our own fucking pod. It has been a while. (laughs) I'm glad I have you with me to remind me of these little details. (laughs) Considering that I started going, how do read? How how read do? There's these squiggles on my screen. Demons Demons become. The power of Christ compels you. This is all we know, isn't it? Yeah, I've not even even (laughs) seen The Exorcist. When I think of the power of Christ compels you, I think of that scene in This is the End, where it's like, the power of Christ compels you, does it, Jay? The power of Christ compels you. Does it really compel me? It's not very compelling. (laughs) 
So initially we might have been fine. When Christianity first started gaining momentum, Exorcism Inc. was a more equal opportunity employer. In the words of Mark 16 verse 17, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. Okay. That seems pretty promising. It didn't matter if you were clergy or layperson, male or female, young or old, everyone can exercise. As long as they believe. I mean, it really did matter, though, didn't it? Kind of. You're not, you're not going to see a black <laughs> woman running around in those days doing exorcisms before they're burned as a witch. But as the church started gaining power, they started to create their own kind of exorcist division. Oh. And exorcism began to fall more and more into the jurisdiction of the clergy. And as time went on, the belief that you had to be extra specially holy to cast mm-hmm. out demons began mm-hmm. to grow. Because, I mean, that's why, you know, saints were saints. They performed miracles by expelling demons and other things, like appearing in toast and, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've recently got a copy of the 14 Times, which talks about the face of Mary appearing on someone's buttocks oh, or something. Christianity is so Saintly boring. Stuff. <laughs> it's just as an aside, because I've been reading about a lot about Norse mythology, and it's just so badass. And then opposed to Christianity, where it's like, there was fish, and then there was more fish. Norse mythology is like, there's an octo-horse that was birthed out of this guy's mangina, and then they were like, this this giant is blind, we need to go and trick him, get in the fucking dress, Thor! And it's just really, really good and fun, <laughs> and Christianity is so dull, and the only thing that saints can think to do is appear in toast and buttocks! <laughs> toast and buttocks! <laughs> I think you meant toast and butter. Oh, it was a joke. Oh, Philippa, it has been a while. (laughs) (laughs) So in Demons Within, Brian Levick mentions St. Martin of Tours, who was born in 316 uh, Common Era. And here I challenge you regarding the boringness of Christianity compared to Norse mythology, because he exercised a demoniac whose symptoms included compulsive biting. And he did it by seizing the demoniac thrusting his arm down the man's throat and forcing the demons to leave through the demoniac's anus. That's pretty good. I like to think that the demons emerged as a silent but deadly fart. <laughs> Selfa filled the room and somebody casually said, okay, who brought in an egg sandwich for lunch? Was it you, Martin? <laughs> I mean, farts are just the ghosts of food, so that makes sense. Practically <laughs> demons. Protestants continued to believe that the power of exorcism was a gift granted by God, and not just the special province of the Mm. priestly. Because when you start saying that it's just priests who can exorcise, you're kind of saying that priests are magic wizards. (laughs) Which, to be fair, is kind of what I figured Catholic priests were saying anyway, with the special hats. Yeah, I thought that, yeah. Catholics, on the other hand, said that the virtue of the exorcist did play a role in the exe- in the success of the exorcism, but they also covered their backs, saying that it didn't guarantee the exorcism, and failing to exorcise a demon didn't mean that you were less virtuous than people thought. Mm-hmm. But as the number of demoniacs increased, so did the number of exorcists, and they didn't all necessarily come from the church. Mm. Renegade exorcists Mm-mm. running about. This is what we can take to inspire us. Okay, good. Even more inspiring is that many of these 
non-official exorcists charged a fee for their services. And you'd better believe that the Catholic Church soon cracked down on that, (laughs) and sometimes even tried to prosecute unlicensed exorcists with witchcraft or excommunicate them. Because the money, uh, uh, the holy duty of exorcism... (laughs) belonged to the Catholic Church. Of course. Did I say money? No. Mm, You heard? No, you didn't hear that right. No, no, I didn't say money. What? Who? No. I called you honey? Yeah. You fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) The power of Christ compels you. (laughs) But despite this, unofficial exorcists continued to ply their trade. After all, there was a certain amount of fame involved. Demonic possession is sexy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like the co-star with your demoniac buddy, I guess. <laughs> there was money to be made, and there were women to assault. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, that's always a plus. Just every possible perk. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of examples of exorcists who use their authority to rape female demoniacs. Oh. Or get free with their hands. As I think I mentioned in episode 34, the vagina was considered to be the devil's gateway. (laughs) So you'd better take a good look down there is what I'm saying. Oh, sad. So we've covered the who, but what about the how of exorcism? Before you and I go on the road, we need to know what we're actually doing. Do we though? I've kind of realized that whereas I hold myself to a high standard, (laughs) there are a lot of people out there in the world doing difficult jobs mediocrely. Yes. Don't know how they get by without getting caught. I mean, Trump. I don't want to look at him. I don't want to look at Trump. <laughs> Looking at Trump gives you cancer. I read it in a tweet that I think he made. If I've learned anything from 2020 and all the people out there, the scammers and the flimflammers, you just do it with confidence and gravitas. <laughs> so you just leap out there. We Neither of us have gravitas. I shriek. And people sometimes <laughs> think that that's gravitas, but they're just so shocked by my loudness. They're like, how is this teeny tiny woman so loud? And I'm like, silence! And I just hover in a doorway apologizing for existing. <laughs> get there. There's a bit of fine-tuning, I think, but we'll get there. (laughs) So the how of exorcism is a little bit tricky, because the methods used to exorcise demons did change over the centuries, they differed from exorcist to exorcist, although the Catholic Church in particular did try to standardize the process and restrict (laughs) it. But the first step was probably the most commonly used in Catholic exorcisms, and goes all the way back to biblical times. This step was called adjuration, which comes from the Latin adjuro, which translates to putting someone on oath. So, speaking with gravitas, the demon was first commanded to speak the truth. Mm. Although Satan being the father of lies and all, it wasn't necessarily a given that anyone would take the demoniac at their word. You said adjuration, and all I'm thinking is abjuration from D&D, and now <laughs> you're commanding them to speak the truth, like a zone of truth, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is the, this is the beginning <laughs> of D&D, Gary Gygax is a plagiarist, Roll for will, quick! <laughs> <laughs> Catholic priests with their holy dice. <laughs> Yes. And in fact, in the battle between Catholicism and Protestantism, one side would try to get the demon to endorse the opposite side. (laughs) So Satan says that Protestantism is good. Well, look at the time. It must be National Opposite Day. (laughs) So they'd constantly be with the demoniac going, what was that, Sarah? What? 
Oh, oh, you think that Protestantism is Protestantism is a good religion? Hmm. Mm. Fancy that. Very sus. Protestants were a little iffy on the whole adjuration thing. Firstly, because what was the point in asking the father of lies to tell the truth, pretty mm-hmm. please with a cherry on top? Mm. Also, commanding a demon to do anything at all looks like witchcraft <laughs> to me. Adjuration sounds suspiciously like conjuration. <gasps> Ritual magic, which was a big no-no, and which the Protestants regularly suspected Catholics of doing. It's because of all the wizard hats. <laughs> You just look at the person in the gold hat with the stars and you're like, they're probably a wizard. There's a lot of robes involved. Hell of a lot of robes for someone who's not a wizard. (laughs) Swaying their incense sensors going like, now you see me. (laughs) I don't know. I I slept all the way through mass when I was in high school, so I'm I'm just guessing what they did. The line between adjuration and conjuration was a blurred one, and it could mean all the difference between being an exorcist and being a necromancer. (gasps) Which is way cooler. It's way fucking cooler. So Protestants didn't command the demon to tell the truth. They just asked it nicely, I guess. (laughs) Now, come on now, Bill. Go, go on, you know, it's the right thing. I'm not going to. Oh, that's, that's all right. You're a demon. It's in your nature. I understand. So you've commanded the demon to tell the truth. But now you need to find out just who you're dealing with. Yeah, their Tinder profile says they're Satan. But you don't want to be catfished by payment. Nobody wants that. You kind of, you see the sexy man with horns and blazing fiery eyes. And then you meet up at your local Starbucks. And what do you see? It's not Satan at all. It's Belthor or Belthegor or whatever his name is. And you're like, oh, Belthegor, fuck you. Are you the one that is the owl head with legs? I don't remember, but I don't like it. Swipe left, swipe left. (laughs) So Protestants, again, they didn't bother to try and find out who they were exorcising because it was generally assumed that the demoniac was possessed by Satan. And that was the name pretty much given by Protestant demoniacs. Catholic demoniacs, on the other hand, had a whole legion of names, see what I did there, Mm -hmm. taken from scripture and other Christian writings. You've got Satan, Beelzebub, Leviathan, Baal, the list just goes on and on and on. And sometimes non-biblical names like Hound and Torturer and Tusspots, I made that last one up, but you get the gist. Yeah. As the late Middle Ages progressed, interrogations became longer and longer, as Catholic priests tried to get more and more information from the demon in their propaganda war against the Protestants. Oh, this is just sad. That just means they're torturing a person for longer. I haven't heard of Catholics torturing anyone. I don't know what you're reading, but... Oh, mm, you're right. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes interrogations could last for whole weeks. They'd be sitting there with this demoniac going, So... What's your favorite color? (laughs) Oh my god, you also love Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. I'm such a fan. Do you like pasta? (laughs) This is why we're not endorsed by the Catholic Church, by the way. Oh, this episode? (laughs) Yeah, this one in particular. You fucked it. (laughs) (laughs) I sent them an email going, Dear Catholic Church, have you listened to our podcast? (laughs) I like the. I like to imagine that the email just says "please," just peels it. Please, Catholic. Please, money. Please, I know you have a lot. Please. 
when Casper mattresses turned us down, we were like, where can we go from here? So when the demon refused to speak, probably from sheer boredom, mm-hmm. the body language of the demoniac would be interpreted as well, as exorcists almost <laughs> literally put words in their mouths. Again, the whole father of lies thing meant that not all demonologists endorsed the process of interrogation. Protestant England wasn't a fan, nor was Catholic Spain, despite its penchant for interrogations in general. Mm -hmm. What was especially useful about interrogating a demon was the fact that you could ask the demon to give up the names of witches, killing two birds with one stone, or many stones. Throw as many stones as you want. Didn't Jesus say something like that? Something like that, yeah. It's in the Bible. It's there. It's right there. After the big whoopsie that was the Salem witch trials, however, it became increasingly recognized that the father of lies didn't always give the names of real witches. Funny, Mm. that. Mm Mm-hmm. Lies. And as a result, as the 1600s drew to a close, interrogation of demons and demonic possession in general kind of started to decline because it just made you look silly. It wasn't fashionable anymore. I mean, you've hanged and burned so many witches and then it turns out that they were, you know, just poor. (sighs) You just feel a little bit bad. So you might ask, what's the difference between interrogation and torture? Uh, Yes. To a number of exorcists, the answer was not that much. Yeah. Being put to the question is a much more unpleasant experience than it sounds like. Put to the question, that's great. I'm going to start using that from now on. The question was, are you a good Christian? And the answer was, <laughs> Okay, now they're pirates? They were I was going to say, why are they pirates? What happened? All my screams sound like pirate barks. <laughs> Stub my toe and I'm like, you filthy table. Ah, I've asked. <laughs> Clang, shiver me timbers. Oh, Philip, are you okay? <laughs> but it's it's still necessary, even if torture is unpleasant. How can you trust the poor, the downtrodden, the uneducated, the filthy, filthy peasants to tell mm. the truth? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that just goes double for mm. demons. The popularity of torture waxed and waned, but there were always those who defended it. And here I am giving you their foolproof, watertight defense. Number one. It's the demon you're torturing, not the person. I see. That makes it fine. Okay. Defense number two, torture makes people tell the truth. Yes, that is true and proven to be real and good. I'm twisting your arm right now and look at you telling the truth. (laughs) Ah, Fast! Fast! (laughs) Defense number three, it's fun. Yes! Okay, I'm lying about the third one. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Nobody's twisting my elbow right now. Defense number three was that it's better to scourge the body and save the soul. Spare the rod and spoil the child and all that. It was also thought by some that you could literally beat the demon out of someone. Oh, fuck. Or physically humiliate them so that the demon would get embarrassed and leave. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's the best way to get anyone to leave anything. There was a lot of spitting in the faces of demoniacs, which presumably would make, you know, the king of hell be like, well, that's not very nice, is it? Oh, how uncouth. I'm not staying here to be treated like that. At Loudun, a French monast- uh, monastery, a French nunnery, was possessed by demons. It's one of the most famous exorcisms in Catholic history, and during the exorcism phase of the whole demonic possession debacle, the English playwright Thomas Killigrew witnessed a priest stand on a nun's breast, strike her as she lay on her back, defenseless, and then stand on her throat and go, why are you lying down like that? Why are you <sighs> lying down like that? 
So, yeah. It wasn't all just nice questioning. No. When anybody gets in a position of power like this, it's just so often people just abuse it and become hideous, beastly people. It's just kind of psychologically fascinating. Anyway, continue. They don't count as human when they're possessed by demons. Oh, that's fine. Oh, you're right. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It really was this belief that, you know, the body, yeah, it might hurt, but it's your soul that's important. Mm. So physically assaulting the demoniac was more common among Catholic exorcists back in the day, and it tied in with Catholic ideas of physical penance, such as self-flagellation, mortifying the body to save the soul. Mm. However, modern-day exorcisms carried out by evangelical Christians can get even more violent, which you discussed in one of our Patreon episodes. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of botched exorcisms in which people are injured or die because untrained people are using violence to get rid of the demon. And remember, the demoniac would often come from a marginalized group. So they'd be a woman, or mentally ill, or very old, or very young, and they'd be unequal to the exorcist's physical strength. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you, you don't often hear about male exorcisms where, like, they aren't in on it or something. It's usually against women. I mean, I've read about quite a few cases now, and I am happy to be corrected here because... Oh, okay. I don't have exact statistics, but it does often seem like it's a man's family that's exercised. The men who who were possessed by demons, ooh, children. I was going to say, is that cats? What is that? Shrieking. <laughs> is that demons? Get them out of you, Philippa. <laughs> power of Christ. I don't read about a lot of men in power getting possessed by demons. Mm-hmm. In the events that they are, they're generally poor or uneducated or mentally ill. Or Definitely as the centuries went on towards the end of the 1600s, 1700s-ish, women definitely were more possessed than men. Mm. And the beatings that the priests would administrate to the demoniac feel more like a punishment for people who lie beyond society's margins than a cure for demons. Much like witchcraft, I guess. Mm. Where, again, it was always the powerless. Mostly the powerless. Mostly. Unless you were a witch and then you'd curse everyone, but... (laughs) (laughs) I just love that a lot of the witches actually did believe that they were cursing people. (laughs) I just... I am absolutely here for that petty, vindictive malice. I made you pick sig. Be pig sig even. What are you going to fucking do about it? Just like spitting on the soil and being like, fuck you. (laughs) But the Catholic Church had another trick up its gold embroidered sleeve. Holy bling. (gasps) Good. The use of sacred objects was a major part of Catholic exorcisms, and they used it to demonstrate that only they had the ornate cross and gluten-free biscuits necessary to drive out Satan and his horde. Do you think it was them justifying having that shit? Everyone's like, all these people are poor, why is your butter tower so big? And it's like, well, because of demons, obviously. Are you fucking stupid? Fucking idiot. It's like when, you know, my partner goes through um, the house and he's like why do you have all the stuff who needs a spiralizer philippa who needs a spiralizer <laughs> what is that you like put a vegetable or a fruit on it oh, and you grate it into a little spiral oh philippa please oh i have you no money me. oh i've got a spiralizer <laughs> it's like five quid for a spiralizer if you didn't have so many spiralizers you could have bought a house <laughs> <Philippa>. <laughs> and I mean, you think you don't need it until that one 
time when you need to turn a carrot into a spiraled carrot. Okay, I have the most millennial item in the world, which is an avocado sort of like peeler slicer all in one tool. <laughs> and I love it and I swear by it. Fuck you. Well, those who have avocado peelers should not throw stones in glass houses. That's the metaphor. All right, yes. But back to Strix. inexplicable spiralizers. To be fair, when he saw the spiralizer in action for the first time, he was like, that looks really fun. And then he spiralized 20 potatoes. And we're like, fuck, now I'm going to eat 20 potatoes. Oh no, no, I need one because I want curly fries. That's the whole point. Oh no. Like, all right, show me, like, join our Patreon so I can afford a spiralizer. <laughs> like, yeah, I said I wanted it so that I could put spiralized carrots in my salad, but. <laughs> oh, fuck that. We no. Know what Curly I fries. Curly fries. <laughs> so, back to that. <laughs> so, the Eucharist would be administered to the demoniac before the exorcism, during the exorcism itself, and sometimes they just straight up press those biscuits against the demoniac's body. Or holy objects would be placed on or against the demoniac's body, like that game where you try to see how many crackers you can balance on a cat, only serious this time. Yeah, I like I told you that it's like Buckaroo and once I played that on a very, very drunk person at a party, his name was Westy. And because he was passed <laughs> out, we were like, Let's play Westy Roo. Um I've managed to like balance a pan on him. We got a billion things on them before he woke up. <laughs> I love playing insert noun a roo. <laughs> Demoniacaroo. It's great. They're all just having fun in between games of Twister and... You know, I made a tweet the other day as well, like, thinking about it. Will I ever play Twister ever again? Ah, COVID. (laughs) I can just imagine the demoniac waking up under all of this bling and, like, shaking off rosaries (laughs) and crosses and images of saints. And they're like, oh my god. God, and like shaking biscuit crumbs out of their like, hair. Guys, that's not funny. Did someone draw a dick on my head? <laughs> guys. So demoniacs would be tied to a cross, they'd be sprinkled with holy water, they'd have images of the saints and other holy relics placed on their bodies. This is the foreskin of Christ. <clears throat> there are a lot of foreskins of different saints, I'm just saying. Oh, Too wow. much foreskin. That's a. Uh, okay. So, like Protestants, who relied almost solely on prayer and fasting to deliver the possessed person from the demoniac, from the demon, other way around, Catholic exorcists also used prayer to expel the demon from, from the demoniac. That was a terribly said sentence, but I'm not going back. No, it's fine. We got the gist. Unlike Protestants who used scripture alone, Catholic prayers fell outside of the holy book. So the invocation to the Virgin, invocation of the Virgin Mary was a particular bugbear to Protestant demonologists. Because mm. they would say that that's more like casting spells than relying on the Bible. Oh. Catholic exorcists would invoke other saints, which again was abhorrent to Protestants. Also because it's not just that you're making up your own spells to get rid of demons, <laughs> but it's God who has the power to expel demons, not, not anyone else. So you're kind of usurping his sovereignty. I see. Stepping on his godly toes. Dealing his thunder. Oh no, wait, that's not mythology <laughs> that's greek mythology <laughs> but speaking of demons as i have been for the past half an hour shall we check up on our orphans in the workhouse ah uh, no just leave them there they're all possessed yeah. by demons lock the door set mm-hmm. it on fire mm-hmm. except no just that's our resources okay let's go so 
completely ignoring the orphans who we don't care about. No. We've realized that it's actually been a while since we last did side stories. Yeah, yeah. It was something that we'd originally intended to do a lot more frequently, but just like, you know, every other thing I planned to do... Sometimes you just need a place Sims 4. Basically, what we'd wanted to do was release a little bonus episode here and there in which we read out the weird things that you, our listeners, have experienced. I mean, there's so much damn history in the world, and little towns have their weird eugenics backstories, and big cities have their haunted alleys, and your house might be haunted right now. As we speak, don't look behind you. (laughs) Perhaps your great-grandmother was a spy for the government, or your great-grandfather was a bootlegger, and perhaps that's how they met in a love story to defy the ages. And it's going to be a new Netflix series, it's going to be better than The Queen's Gambit, which ended terribly, by the way. <laughs> no, I haven't watched it yet, I believe uh, it's going to be great. The ending is shit. <laughs> So please tell us your interesting stories. We'd really like to take them and share them with all of our other listeners so that we can all reassure ourselves that we're all equally weird. Yes. Except me. Near my hometown, there's like a really creepy story about a church and a baby, which I haven't gotten around to yet, but I might do. So just like, it doesn't matter if you feel like it's really small, it's still going to be interesting and great, I imagine. We really want to find out what odd shit you guys have come across. Mm. So you can tell us your stories by emailing us at awfulforeverpodcast at gmail.com, or you can come and talk to us on our Discord server. You'll find the link for that in our Twitter bio, which is at awfulforeverpod. And if you like what we do, please consider supporting our Patreon. We're really grateful for all the support that we've received. You guys make it possible for us to keep this pod going, so thank you so much. And if you haven't hopped on our Patreon yet, please give it a look. For $3 a month, we make up nasty rumors about you and immortalize you on our website, awfulforever.com. And for $5, you can listen to two extra episodes a month, including our flawless reading of Varney the Vampire, aka the greatest novel of all time. Read by the greatest voice actors of all time, us. <laughs> and it's flawless and perfect. Last but not least, Jess and I really enjoyed playing Among Us with a bunch of you. That was and great, yeah. <laughs> we should do that again. We'd love to make it a more regular thing, so keep an eye on our social medias if you're interested in finding out the dates for that. And how sus we all are. Hmm? I think at this stage we can set the workhouse on fire. And then walk away, not looking behind, Mm -hmm. as the explosion blooms like a dusty rose behind us. Do you need to put on some shades? I I bought an extra pair for you that we can put on while we're walking away. I need two pairs to wear at the same time, and I'm kind of going to like shrug into my jacket as I walk in a cool way. I love that. I'm also going to smoke like a a drug, like a (laughs) cigarette. Smoke a drug. (laughs) Yeah, that's what the cool kids do. The way that we can start the explosion is as we're walking away, cool and slow, you can take out your cigarettes and just throw it behind you. Oh, fuck yeah. And then I'm going to hop on a skateboard and say, radical, dude. (laughs) (laughs) This is totally tubular. Bodacious. And then I'm going to put on a backwards cap and another cap on top of it. So I'm wearing a hat on a hat, but that one's going to be forwards. And then I'm going to put sunglasses on the back of my head and then turn around like, ooh, which way am I going? Which way is the front way? Am I still on theme here? Has it run away from me a little bit? Let's move on. (laughs) 
Philippa said, gently seizing Jessica by the shoulders, moving her to the side and sitting her down, and removing both caps. No! (laughs) So between the Protestants and the Catholics, who would you guess to be the more effective? Well... In Britain, because we're a misanthropic bunch, I want to say maybe the Protestants, because we hate joy. But the Catholics have more money, so maybe the one with more money? It's always going to be money. Money trumps misery every time. That's right. That's right. I mean, the Protestants are looking at the demoniac with their soggy biscuits, and the Catholics are going, shiny! (laughs) Sun. So Catholic exorcists left everyone else in the dust. Of course. People would seek them out in preference to any Protestant sect, and Catholics advertised the shit out of their method and the power of their faith. Putting it on the side of buses. You say that, but there are buses in Edinburgh that have the sign that says, Try praying. Why are you fucking advertising? Try praying. (laughs) Are you an app? Are you a church? (laughs) I don't know, but... and like, try praying for what? Because you guys could try playing, praying for good things. I could try praying for you to stub your toe a lot. I frequently pray for the zombie apocalypse to release me from my corporate hell life. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. So, the success of the Catholics is sometimes explained through the theatricality of their exorcism rituals. <laughs> Yay. Come on, babe, why don't you paint that down? <laughs> Give them the old razzle-dazzle. Look at my hands! It's been a while. It has. The paraphernalia and the interrogations and the mighty struggles with the demoniac inspired confidence in the demoniac. If someone's going to wrestle you for your soul, <laughs> that makes you think that's probably going to work. Yeah, it's, it's just too extra to not work. It's like, why would you put in this much effort if it wasn't going to be a real thing? Right? When you go to the Protestants, they're like, put on the tea, Mildred, but not the biscuits today, fasting and then the prayers. (laughs) It felt like someone was actually doing something to help the demoniac and thus gave them relief. Mm. Whereas Protestant deliverances, they just felt like thoughts and prayers. Catholic exorcists had the power to drive out demons, whereas Protestants, they said, well, it's kind of up to God, isn't it? (laughs) Protestants were much more successful when they imitated the dramatic displays of the Catholics. In my last episode, Demoniac, I mentioned John Darrell, who was one of the more successful Protestant exorcists, because he took a few pages from the Catholic Handy Handbook of Exorcisms. He'd invite in big crowds and that it would be much more theatrical. It's kind of sad that, like, even in some, in some things that happen today where there's like a terrible crime and like the police are investigating it, but people just want something to happen. There's like, it needs, something needs to happen, something that I can see. And it's like, it is, it's just a bit more complicated than just finding the nearest person and making it a big, like, theatrical show. Mm. So, yeah, I don't really have a point. You know what I mean, though? (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. What's interesting is the link between demonic supply and demand, though. Because Catholic exorcisms were believed to be more effective, a higher number of Catholics were possessed by demons. Mm. And tying into that, it's widely accepted, at least from what I've read, that most cases of demonic possession can be explained 
not as mental illness or faking, which I looked at a bit last episode, but as a kind of involuntary acting, similar or identical even to the mass hysteria of the dancing plague, which you mentioned in my last episode on the demoniac. Mm. Or at least that's my understanding. Hysteria is a tricky term, as we've discussed in a number of episodes. Mm-hmm. And I definitely see correlations between what happened in Strasbourg in 1518 and the plight of the demoniacs. Yeah. And like, the more you see something, the more you think. It's like whenever you see symptoms of a thing, you're like, oh my God, I have throat cancer now, because you see it everywhere. It, it gets in your mind, and then you start thinking, is this me? And then, yeah. That's interesting, because, I mean, what I'll get onto is that. Often these kinds of things, the dancing plague, um, exorcist, uh, demonic possession, they have their origins in this constantly suppressed anxiety mm, that yeah. it, you just, you push it down and you push it down and you push it down and every day is just so hard and things keep happening and we're living in the Reformation times, like this is a very <laughs> stressful time. Yeah. Have you not heard about how often painters are fucking stabbing each other? <laughs> <laughs> And then that that anxiety and tension has to come out, mm. and it's going to come out in a form that is culturally that that makes sense in the culture in which it's coming out. Yeah, mm. the role of the demoniac had clear scripts to follow. It was a part that you could play to kind of, in a way, exorcise your anxiety. Mm. Yeah, you're playing this role, and the priest and the community are functioning as co-actors and audience. And everybody's working together, adding more lines to the script, ad-libbing a bit, aggravating the performance, and the spotlight is on you. It's certainly a fact that exorcisms tended to make the demoniac worse before healing them, if they were ever healed. Mm. As they they actually kind of adjusted to the role as they found out more and more about it. So they'd start out going, hmm, I've read this in the Bible and I've heard this in church and there was that other demonic possession. But then the priests and the audience would kind of almost supply your lines and suggest mm. the route that your uh, your role had to follow. I, I think this is a thing as well, though. Everybody in some way wants to feel special. Like you mm. want to be the special one. And even if sometimes that becomes an awful thing, like you are the possessed one. That's still like your separation from everybody else. You are the special thing. This is the thing that's happened to you. And now you're the star in the production. And with the people who found themselves in the role of the demoniac, it's not like they went from a great life to mm. to that role. It was usually people who, who were vulnerable, people mm. who lived on the margins of society, like women and children and old people and poor people and sick people and so on. Yeah. And when you were possessed, people saw you. You weren't on the margins anymore. Yeah. And they cared for you as a community and they feared you and they were fascinated by you. And you weren't to blame for your actions under the influence of demons. Mm. I think I've said similar things about women diagnosed with hysteria in previous episodes and that they were often made unconsciously, consciously, a little bit of both, acting out the stresses that were placed on them as women during that period. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there'd be a continuum between unconsciously acting and consciously acting, and a demoniac could flow up and down that continuum throughout. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes exorcisms were consciously theatrical, at least on the exorcist's part, as they used the opportunity of the exorcism to spread the faith, instruct their audience, show the power of their particular belief. Yeah. So 
That's what I've got to say in general about exorcism for this episode. But I did want to talk about a specific case just to kind of illuminate some of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I've been talking about has been leading up to a case that I've wanted to talk about forever, the case of the Witches of War Boys, which I'll get onto in a future episode. But in the meantime, I thought I'd close with a case of some possessed potatoes. <gasps> Yay! The possession of the starchy seven. Quick, get the spiralizer. <laughs> this is how you get the demon out. Yes! It's going to be fries for us. <laughs> So it started in Lancashire in the February of 1594 with one little potato called Anne Starchy. Mm. Just nine years old, she suddenly began to be dumpish and heavy with a fearful starting and pulling together of her body. I don't know if that's what nine-year-olds do. Right. <laughs> I'm seldom in contact with children. Oh, wait, are these... Uh, is this a metaphor or are they potatoes? Is this like a story? <laughs> They're real people. Their surname is just Stachy. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is this like a children's story? What's happening here? <laughs> we used to have a co-worker who used to refer to everyone as little potatoes. Oh, yes. Oh, I miss her. <laughs> and I once fixed her system and she forever referred to me as her magical potato. Aww. So you had Anne Stachy, who suddenly began to be a bit weird. And her brother, 10-year-old John also started acting strangely, starting with compulsive shouting fits on his way to school. Oh dear. Their mother came from a Catholic family, and she looked at this behavior and was like, that looks like demons to me. <laughs> to be fair, I don't have children, and anything that they do looks like a cult behavior. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So the mother doesn't have a name, but her husband <laughs> absolutely does. Of course. Nicholas Starchy, the father, at his wife's bidding, asked a local Catholic priest to help exorcise the children, but the priest refused. And in anti-Catholic post-Reformation England, this makes sense, I think. So Nicholas Starchy asked the, lo asked the local cunning man to help. I'd love to do an episode on cunning men and women, but for the moment, they were part local witch, part local doctor, and a smattering of other things besides. Yeah, they were kind of like a hedge witch kind of doctor weren't they yeah like they worked as midwives they gave charms they gave little herb medicines all sorts of things yeah so the local cunning man hartley was offered a lot of money to help and help he did he saw the children regularly he gave them charms and herbs and life returned to normal for the next year and a half but hartley wanted more than whatever the statues were paying him to help the two children and he consistently threatened to leave the country even though he was the only one who could save the children and whenever he suggested this kind of thing, the boy, John, used to get these regular nosebleeds that only Hartley could heal. Oh. Nicholas was terrified for his children, and he offered Hartley a room, food, and an annual pension if he would only stay with them. Oh, I'm getting a bit of Rasputin vibes here. Hmm. Hartley said, that sounds very nice. Give me my own house and grounds. To which Nicholas said, how about no? <laughs> so Hartley was furious at this, but he took the deal and he moved in. But things just got worse. The children resumed their fits, and instead of helping, Hartley seemed more obsessed with summoning demons than in getting rid of them. Ooh. He tried to con Nicholas Starchy into drawing a summoning circle around the house, which <gasps> was an actual crime punishable by death, and a <laughs> stupid thing to do in general. Yeah. Don't turn your house into a hellmouth. We've all watched Buffy. Yeah. Oh, I haven't. <laughs> You're so wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> Starchy tried to find help elsewhere. 
He took urine samples from his children and showed a doctor who could find nothing wrong, probably because it was like the late 1500s. And (laughs) And he just came in like, piss, I have piss. The doctor's like, "Uh, may I help you? Piss. (laughs) I just walk into my doctor with like whole buckets of my urine and I'm like, something is wrong. (laughs) I just throw a cup of my urine at them like, solve it, (laughs) fix it. Have you ever had to pee in a cup for a doctor? Only once. And it's very difficult as a woman. (laughs) (laughs) It is the most unpleasant thing. So when the doctor went, please leave my surgery right now. (laughs) Nicholas Starchy sought out the famous John Dee, who had exercised demons before. But Dee refused to help because the last time he tried to help, the woman committed suicide. And Oh. He was also later accused of being a conjurer for some unrelated dabbling in the dark arts, and it was very unpleasant. So he sniffed that maybe they should find a good Protestant priest. But things got worse. John Starchy, the boy, was suddenly struck with pain and cried out that Satan had broken his neck. Oh, God. He trashed the room, foaming at the mouth like a dog and biting anyone that came near. His sister Anne and three other child wards of Nicholas Stashi all started to bark and howl like dogs in unison for 15 minutes at a time, after which they would just collapse as if they were dead. You could pinch them, stick them with pins, they wouldn't notice. Mm. They said that the spirit that controlled them was a dove, calling them to heaven by any means necessary, and they started to poke holes in the walls trying to find a doorway. I hate this, this is so scary. <laughs> Children paint the walls in oil and lipstick, and as a child when I did that, I wish I'd thought of demons. Yeah. John began to compulsively wash his hands as well, which, you know, that was good. It's fine. No complaints. <laughs> the possession spread to a family member, 33-year-old Margaret Byram, after getting hugged by Hartley one day. He tried to kiss her, but she threw a complete fit, and it was demons from there. Mm-hmm. Of course. In fact, Hartley tried to kiss a lot of people. The children, the wards. He, quote, wrestled with one Joanne Smith, a maidservant in the house, to kiss her, but failed of his purpose. Oh, gross. Mm, He really, he he feels like a slimy man. Yeah. His kisses were feared, and Margaret Byram suffered for hers. An unseen force threw her around the kitchen towards the fire and under the table. She felt that she was pregnant with a young calf with a head and nose full of nails. (gasps) That's horrifying. She would feel it inside her, bloating her belly, coming up towards her heart and then out of her mouth as a cold breath, making her bark and howl, and then it would drop straight back inside her, into her stomach like a cold stone. Oh my god. When she later went home to her family, she would fast and binge on food. The spirit would make a stench arise from her. Likely story. Mm, It's the demons, I'm sorry. (laughs) And smoke would rise off her. Oh. People would also hear the sound of a horse trotting from inside her belly. Okay. (laughs) A seventh victim, the maidservant Jane Ashton, had once gone through Hartley's possessions a year earlier, and back then she felt something invisible stick her throat like a pin making her vomit blood for two days. And now whatever it was came back for her, and she started barking and howling with the other six demoniacs. Mm. Can you imagine living in that household? No, it's it's very (laughs) loud. (laughs) No peace. It was when Hartley tried to pray for Margaret Byram, having followed her home, that the suspicions of a local clergyman were aroused. 
he kind of, he was standing next to Hartley and Hartley was like, our father, her name. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is is how I did it for a long time. You, when you don't know the words to the song, you just kind of go. <laughs> I mean, for years, I said, "Our Father, Howard in Heaven." Howard, <laughs> Howie to his friends. Yeah, I love it. So the clergyman asked Hartley to say the Lord's Prayer, but Hartley found it impossible to do so and was promptly arrested. All seven demoniacs displayed the symptoms of their possession in court. They had visions of Hartley and a great black dog and cat attacking them. Also a big mouse just kind of sitting on the side being cute. Oh, okay. There were contortions, temporary blindness, weeping, swelling bellies, bodily rigidity, barking, howling, the works. Hartley wouldn't confess, and the demonic, the seven demoniacs were unable to testify against him, claiming that he was silencing them through magic. But then... In our Netflix series, <laughs> which we are definitely going to make. Yes. Sean Bean. <gasps> of course. Nicholas Starchy. Uh-huh. Dies in the end, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly dies. <laughs> he steps forward, remembering the night that Hartley had tried to get him to create that summoning circle. <gasps> and Hartley was accordingly sentenced to death by hanging. The first time he was hanged, the rope broke, which Hartley took as a sign to confess to conjuring. Confess he did, and he was hanged again, this time successfully. But we know that this isn't the end of the Netflix series because there's still one more episode. Yes. It didn't stop. The demoniacs continued to be tormented. Eventually, the renowned John Darrell was called in, who I mentioned in the previous episode as well, When he came in, the children's stomachs swelled and rumbled as if they were pregnant with demons. They shocked the adults by joking about Hartley's death and wondered whether Satan himself could be hanged as well. They barked and howled, and worst of all, worst of all, Mm -hmm. referred to the holy book as the (gasps) Bible. Death. Death Mm -mm. for everyone. Mm -mm. Only we can say that. I found this this part particularly creepy. They all suddenly and simultaneously let out a great whooping scream so loud that it seemed almost supernatural. Oh my god. This this would be an excellent Netflix series. (laughs) The next haunting of a a house. Something house. Yeah. Daryl was famous for drawing in big crowds to his exorcisms. Along with the family, there were ministers, justice of the peace, 30 other witnesses, everybody crowded together, and they all fasted and prayed while blood and phlegm gushed from the noses and mouths of the demoniacs and they writhed in pain. Until one by one the demons left them. Byram reported a crow working up through her belly and out of her mouth, flying out the window in a flash of fire. John described his demon as a hunchback man with an ill-favored face. <laughs> Another demon left in the form of a hedgehog. Oh, oh, he's a little sweet little hedgehog. And then he like waddles away. Yay. Jane Ashton was delivered the next day of a toad demon. And for the next couple of days, the demons came and went. But ultimately, all were saved with the exception of Jane Ashton, who, gasp, converted to Catholicism. (gasps) No. And underwent numerous exorcisms by priests, none of which seemed to help. But that was the story of the starchy seven. And the moral is to eat your potatoes. <laughs> With spirals or not. Mm, I've got some hash browns in the fridge and the story has made me hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really good. Pregnant with nails and a car filled with um, 
I don't know, fire. Mm, potatoes. Mm, potatoes. I want to be pregnant with possessed potatoes. <laughs> Food baby in the future. Mm. Well, yeah, good. I feel like demonic possession is just kind of sad. And a way to torture the mentally ill. Yay! I mean, I do think that there was a lot of belief in what was happening. I oh, mean, yeah. these were strictly religious times. But sometimes what you consciously believe can mask unconscious things as well. Yeah. Philippa said profoundly. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot a lot to be said about somatoform disorders where you think it's so hard that it begins to kind of manifest in your body. So it is real to the person experiencing it. And speaking of... Of segway, Philippa. Very good. <laughs> some things are nice sometimes. Well, well, well. Now I have to think of a thing. I guess... I've been letting Gandalf outside quite a lot, and it's, for some reason, I used to have a lot of other people's cats in my garden, which I feel very strongly about. Why does your pet get to be in my garden? Fuck off. But, <laughs> for some reason, I haven't been seeing them around a lot, so it's been safe to let Gandalf out. And it's just been so lovely, because he comes to the door and scratches to be let out, and it's like, okay, off you pop. And he hops away, and I'm like, have a good day, sweetie. And he goes out into the <laughs> garden, and just like grazes and hops around and we got him a nice little shelter because it's been raining a lot and because he's an indoor creature whenever it rains he's like i'm uncomfortable and i don't know why it's like because you have to get into shelter you <laughs> fucking idiot and he doesn't understand it so we got him like a little box that he then did not use because he was stood on top of it going i'm still really uncomfortable so like, you have to be inside it you fucking idiot this box isn't working it's not working as intended and the other day you know just working at home at your fucking desk and you look outside and there's just like a little loafed bun in the middle of the garden looking comfy and then he puts his head down like yum delicious grass and it's like I get jealous because there's nowhere I can be where the ground is food but I'm happy for him <laughs> and I love just watching him being in the garden grazing and having a wonderful time. I feel the same whenever I watch Bun Bun eat her hay and she burrows her little nose and head into the warm, toasty grass yeah. and it's just like, oh, no. makes me happy. Because yeah. they're happy, so we're yeah, happy. You, when you love your pets, which is a creature that you enter into a contract, it's like, you are only a financial drain to me and the only enjoyment you, like, the only thing that you give me back in return is my enjoyment of nurturing you and seeing you be happy and so i love it when they're out and they're running around and eating and having a good time and it makes me feel good sobbing into Arg. their fur yeah fast play <laughs> <laughs> what do parrots play I don't Everything. Know. Let's go eat some potatoes. Only in a spiral. I'm only going to eat food in a spiral from now on. 